You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. If you look at the rundown on ESPN.com, on the front page, on the NFL page, on the NBA page, you're not finding a lot of good news. Every headline is another kick in the stick. And if you look today, it's about COVID tests. It's about DeAndre Hopkins to miss the rest of the regular season, the 49ers defensive and Ford season over with back problems. Lamar day-to-day. And then at the very top, more added to the bottom that Urban Meyer has been digging to try to find. We said this on a previous show. He keeps looking for new bottoms, and I'm not talking about at college bars. And he's found another one. We'll get into it here at Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jordan Renan filling in for Fitz. His maiden voyage here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And Jordan, it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We are starting right off the top with the bottom, the new bottom that Urban Meyer has found. And that is ex-Jaguars kicker Josh Lambeau alleging that Urban kicked him. He has told um, a reporter from the Tampa Bay Times that he was stretching in warm-ups before a practice during the week of the final preseason game. And Meyer told him, hey, dip bleep, make your bleeping kicks and then kicked him in the leg. He said the kick was, you know, just a 5 out of 10, but that it's inappropriate for your coach to kick you in any way. And he said he he told Meyer, don't you ever bleeping kick me again, to which Meyer responded, I'm the head ball coach. I'll kick you whenever the bleep I want. Isn't that now, a ball Myers, coach type move right, right there? Right. Right, it is. The quote. Coach. That's the thing a ball coach would do right there. The, the quote is, is perfection uh, if you're trying to be the antagonist in a high school football movie. Uh, but not so great if you're an NFL quote-unquote leader. His agent told the Tampa Bay Times that Lambeau's characterization, characterization of me in this incident is completely inaccurate and there are no eyewitnesses to refute his account. What do you make of the latest? Yeah, I mean, that's like a Bud Kilmer type thing, right? Varsity <laughs> Blues. I mean, that's isn't that something like Bud Kilmer would say in like the movie? That's like a line. Hey, dip. You know what? Yeah. Make, make your, your kicks. At, make your friggin' kicks. Like, come on. I mean, <laughs> that is such a movie line. Like, what is Urban Meyer thinking? That this is the way to go about getting respect in the NFL locker room? I mean, it's it's really unbelievable the arrogance you have to have. Forget that. Forget that he actually kicked him for a second, right? Let's take that out, even though that's uh, that pretty important. That's a, yeah, it's a pretty important <laughs> part of it. Just to say that to your kicker, right? Like, how do you think that's going to go over? Josh Lambeau is not a twenty-year-old kid. He's, he's he's like a veteran in the NFL. How do you think that's going to go over? I can't imagine what that locker room thinks of him at this point. You think you think he would have any chance? Let's let's just say. Shad Khan is crazy enough to keep him at this point. You think that locker room can have – is there any way that locker room can have respect for this guy? No. I mean, if they did like a, you know, everyone put your heads down and then, you know, show of hands, <laughs> vote of confidence, right. I think it's going to be zero hands Keep until peaks, Urban, Urban, peaks. Urban kicks them under the desk <laughs> and each of them slowly raises a hand as a result. Uh, it's Spade and Fitz. Jordan Renan filling in for Fitz tonight with me, Sarah Spade. It's, it's – 
listen, this feels like an inevitability at this point. There's already been enough reasons for Shad Khan to have to say, no matter what I promised the people when I introduced right. him, which was this time I know I got it right, no matter how much money you're going to waste, which according to reports could be about $50 million to get rid of him. And then, of course, you got to hire a new coach, which is another 50 or whatever million dollars. But you have enough money to not dig deeper into a failure that you know is a failure purely out of either ego or pride or, or money reasons. Uh, and especially with this coming out, according to Lambeau, he did report the incident to his agent who contacted Jaguar's legal counsel the following day. Uh, Jaguar's legal counsel indeed acknowledged and responded immediately to the query made by Lambeau's agent Friday, August 27, 2021. The Jaguar said in a statement to the newspaper, counsel offered to speak with Josh or to assist Josh in speaking with coaching or other, other football personnel if he was comfortable with uh, sharing the information. Any suggestion otherwise is blatantly false. So here now you have Urban saying this absolutely did not happen. There were no eyewitnesses. No one, you know, this is completely inaccurate but that he already reported it and the team acknowledges having gotten that report. Um, so why you would make that up and go straight to the team immediately with it, um, it's just completely unbelievable that Urban would be the one telling the truth here, right? Yeah, I mean, Josh Lambeau lasted till mid-October, which is kind right. of interesting. I wonder it's what not that like he got cut and made I wonder what up. that dynamic was. Yeah, mm. so he, he, he did last a little while. But you know what? I've been in this kind of situation, right? Not not in in regards to the coach, you know, outwardly doing, uh, you know, hitting a player or whatever. But when things start to go bad for a team, and it, I'm talking about the Ben Mc, the end of the Ben McAdoo era with the Giants, right? So Ben McAdoo, who went 11 and five his first year, that second year, you know, the poop started to hit the fan, right? Guys were getting suspended. Janaris Jenkins just decided he wasn't going to come back after the bye week because it was his birthday, so he wanted to go celebrate. I mean, like one thing after another, Eli Apple, like all these crazy things. And at that point, you could see the dysfunction building to a point, a crescendo, where there was just no way that the Giants' ownership, and then it obviously reached the point where they benched Eli Manning and then uh, reneged on that real quick. And Giants' ownership reached a point where they realized – for the sake of their business, for their sake of making money and keeping the fan base on board, even to the slightest degree, that they had no choice but to get rid of Ben McAdoo, who was 11-5 and five the previous year, in his first year as head coach. And before his second season was even over, so many things had accumulated that they just couldn't keep him anymore. And to me, that's what's happening here with the Urban Meyer situation is so many Things are building up one after another after another. And when Trevor Lawrence is saying the drama has to stop for the Jaguars to win, mm -hmm. and now this is happening, there's no way that you can keep Urban Meyer there for the sake of your business. Yeah, and, and listen, we've already been saying that before this story came right. out. If not for just the main reason which you just mentioned – your superstar number one overall draft pick who decides whether your team has a shot at being relevant in the coming years or whether you have to start all over again in a few if he doesn't pan out is the reason that you can't have him in this dysfunction. He shouldn't have to tell Urban Meyer that, you know, we really want you to play this, this running back that I think is a good player and you've been benching. He shouldn't have to make public statements about how, you know, they need to, to cut down on the drama. 
he shouldn't be the only one taking accountability, which he is when he don't, goes and talks to the media and explains what he does wrong every time he throws a pick. Add all of that together, and you've put him in this completely untenable situation to grow and improve. And what we've seen from his play is that he hasn't. This was supposed to be the most absolute lock, no chance that he's not the guy, and he hasn't looked good. Four picks the other day. And I don't know how much you're willing to let him be you know, tainted by this system and this coach um, and expect somebody else to be able to come in and fix it. And in the end, it would really only be for money or, or again, the ego of having said you got it right this time. Um, and at this point, I imagine the NFL will step in. You have to, right? Regardless of how rough and tumble a sport this is, this is still a workplace and that is still an employee being kicked by basically his, his superior. That yeah, physically, you can't touch your players. Yes. let's be honest. In, in a you way, can't touch that, your in employees a in a you physical physically, way. Yeah. Yes, yes. Regardless, is, and the people on the internet who are arguing that get a hold of your lives. I, I don't know what world you live in in which it's appropriate for a superior to physically uh, touch or kick uh, an employee. Urban Meyer should fine. be it's out. Not. The clock is ticking. We'll see if Shad Khan changes his mind from yesterday's statement about not making any rash decisions. There's no way there won't be more of these situations. Exactly. Not this uh, specific situation, but more drama going forward if he's Urban very clearly making plenty of rash decisions. Uh, the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, Jordan Renan filling in for Fitz, and we're going to get into the real NFC contenders. One of them took a hit today. We'll get to all of it mm -hmm. next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We talked about it yesterday, just how wild the playoff picture is in the NFL. The in-the-hunt graphic is literally everybody probably except for the Lions and the Jags. Everybody else, I think, still has a shot. And the Giants. Throw the and Giants. The, I'm done. so sorry. Yes, they're the done. Giants. I, trust me. I know. The Bears know, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, not pretend they're not There done. are a couple, but there are 26 <laughs> teams in the picture right now. There are no truly elite one-loss teams. Everybody's got a few. And that leaves us wondering, who are the real contenders? With so many technically in it, how many really have a shot to win it? It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jordan Renan, filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance with more than 30 unique coverage options available. Progressive knows small business. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. We'll get to the AFC later in the show, but I want to start with the NFC because I have three real contenders in the NFC. And it's okay. going to sound a little basic to go with the top seeds, but I do believe that the most consistent teams in the NFC who I can see going all the way are the Packers, the Bucks and the Cardinals. Now, the Packers and Bucks to me, feel a little stronger than the Cardinals, but I do think recency okay. bias is getting in the way because the Cardinals were my top team in the NFL as of a couple weeks ago. They weathered the storm with D-Hop and Kyler Murray out. Their defense was vastly under-discussed for being able to keep them keep them going throughout a number of circumstances. I think Kyler Murray, if he were not for, for the injury, would be a legitimate MVP candidate. I have some concerns about coaching that were exacerbated by the last drive and the end of that loss to the Rams. 
But I think the Cardinals have been criminally under-discussed all season long because they're just not one of those sexy teams. They don't have the big storylines of the unvaccinated quarterback or the greatest of all time or the coach who needs to finally get it together. This is just a good, solid team who has good wins against good teams that include the Titans and the Rams and, you know, a a really close game with the Packers. Uh, This is a team, to me, that I think can handle some of the best so I'm counting them with the Packers nope. and the Bucks as contenders. Nah, you could blame people like me for not giving them respect. I mean, I will. I like the. I like the. There we go. See, I, the Cardinals are one of those two. They're a good team, but you know how like when you have like a young a young team and you're building up, right? You're you gotta like you get to the playoffs. You make the jump the next year, and then the next year you're a real contender. The Cardinals are still in that infantile stage, right? They have Kyler Murray, great young quarterback. Love him. I think he's going to be a stud in this league. He already is, right? Like you said, he could have been the MVP if not for getting hurt. Young coach. Like, they're going to – it's going to take them time to get over that hump, to get to that next step, which is why if if it's me – I put the Rams, and I've even I know the Rams struggled for a while. They had some uneven mm. games recently. They've been that team that's building up, right? Matthew Stafford didn't come here, come to Los Angeles to win regular season games. He came to Los Angeles to get them over that hump. That's what they traded for Von Miller for. That's what they signed Odell Beckham for. Like this team is primed to make a run in the playoffs, in my opinion. And they hit a, a couple tough weeks. This week, who knows who they're putting out there? They're one of these teams in the you know the crazy COVID situation. But to me, the Rams are that other team. It's it's the Bucks, it's the Rams, and it's the Packers. The Packers are, are still, you know, regardless of what Aaron Rodgers wants to think of his own team. I mean, he has a really good team around him. Maybe one of the best teams he's had yet around him. So to me, I, I got to sub in the Rams. They they have it all. They have the stars, the playmakers, and the quarterback. And the coach, who we know at least has gotten his team there before, a better, a has better been close. coach for sure, and and for sure a better coach than than the Cardinals and experience and everything else. It's Bain and Fitz, Jordan Renan in for Fitz. I want to get to the Packers in a second, but I want to quickly ask you about the Rams. And again, I think a lot of the folks that are really high on the Rams right now, it's recency bias because of that win over the Cards. It was a good win. Absolutely. But I've been there but, since I never got off the bandwagon. I've been there. So you didn't I, they were get my off number the bandwagon one. when they lost to the Packers. They lost to the Niners. No. They lost to the Titans. They had three losses in a row, all of them featuring some really erratic play, bad mm. decision making from Matthew Stafford. There wasn't a part of you that thought, you know, this is a combination of talent and not a full team. Because your take on the Cardinals, sure. But we've seen some teams in early iterations with young coaches, young quarterbacks who have made it really far. I don't know where the massive holes are on the Cardinals that you're so worried about when we look at the Rams, and we've seen them in action with some of those holes. I Look, it, for the Cardinals, it's just an inexperienced thing to me that really, hold, uh, that really holds a lot of weight to me. I mean, and now, Matthew and Stafford's and now, and now inexperienced you're, in the playoffs, in games I mean, that matter. True. He has been to the playoffs, I believe, uh, which is amazing when you play in Detroit in the first place. If you want to talk about the worst franchise in, in probably all of sports, I mean, ask any Lions fan. You literally have no chance of success there, which is what the interesting part is. It's like, I'm a believer. Uh, granted, I'm driving the bandwagon. I'm the Matthew Stafford guy saying, look, we, they finally got him out of Detroit. Right. And he had, and he did. He had those bad games, which is kind of yeah, over the MO in the, the, M- the wild card. The, the M.O. for him is, you know, that, that, right. that he makes those mistakes. And, and we're going to see. 
We're going to see if he's able to overcome them ultimately when he gets to the big games. But because they lost a road game, a pretty tight road game to Green Bay in the regular season, I wasn't going to jump off the bandwagon. They had a really awful game in San Francisco as well the week before. But to me, that wasn't enough to jump off the bandwagon. I thought this team would get it right, would get it back together. And then they made key additions, right? They added Von Miller. They, and they added didn't need Odell to Beckham, and to it's going to take some time. Right, yeah, which that's maybe what I mean. part of that, that swoon there might have just been the addition of new players and trying to work them in. Let's talk about the Packers quickly because they are a team that everybody has felt pretty good about all along. Real consistency on both sides of the ball in this team. What's interesting is the wrinkle that just got added today. It's something we've talked about all season long, but some more reporting on it from Diana Rossini on Get Up today, talking about how even a Super Bowl for this team might not keep Aaron Rodgers around. The sense I get from talking to different people around the league is that there's going to be more drama to follow and that Aaron Rodgers is most likely going to lead the Green Bay Packers organization. And, you know, we know we talked about that in the offseason leading into this year, that this was going to be it for him. Um, I don't think a Super Bowl is going to matter. I, I don't think that people around this league think that if Aaron Rodgers wins a Super Bowl with Green Bay, that means he's going to stay. I think he likes the idea of an option of going to a different place and winning. I think this is why we're seeing a quarterback who I don't think this he's playing like it's a farewell tour, but he's certainly playing with a lot of fun with ease because he knows he is in the driver's seat for his future. Now, Man. there's Woo. obviously some question marks about why that would be coming out now, why it's being discussed now. Who are the sources around the league, and do they have a direct line of communication with Rodgers, or is it all conjecture? But, Jordan, when they're in the midst of this great run <laughs> and everyone's feeling so confident, why now? Why Why is this out there now? Forget why now. How about why, why does he want to leave Green Bay in the first place? What is the impetus behind him wanting to leave? Because – if it's going to and winning some like winning and, and having a good team around you, where's he going that's better than Green Bay? Like where what team is he joining that's in better shape than Green Bay? I mean, he has Devontae Adams. He has this good defense. Like I, I don't understand the concept behind Aaron Rodgers leaving unless he just doesn't want to live in Green Bay. Yeah. Yeah, or, or work with the front office. Has there really been a coming together of, of minds with Gutenkunst, or is it just something that they put on pause to get through the season? Does he want to have more say? You know, is it about looking across the league and seeing other quarterbacks who have more of a direct line of communication to their head coach or to the front office or anything else? Um, we don't really know. It's, it's, it's a beautiful mystery, as Aaron Rodgers would say. Uh, and we need to dig a little deeper into whether there's still a lot yeah, of those fissures there that were bothering him uh, before. It's Spain and Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Jordan Renan sitting in for Fitz. Coming up, the latest report about an NFL owner under fire. Speaking of people, <coughs> Urban, who need to lose their jobs, this guy too. We'll get into it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Some really excellent reporting from the Washington Post over the last few months about the Washington football team. Allegations of a toxic workplace, sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, follow-up on the NFL's investigation into all of that, and now allegations that Daniel Snyder, despite pledging support for the investigation and a willingness to cooperate, instead is now trying to silence key accusers, send people to interrogate and potentially intimidate those who had spoken to investigators, and otherwise disrupt the investigation that thus far and from all accounts will remain secret 
protecting his reputation and potentially whatever else the NFL has to hide. That reporting has been done uh, in part by Liz Clark, who joins us now on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jordan Renan, in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Liz, thanks so much for the time. Oh, thanks so much for drawing attention to this on such a busy sports day. And um, what a great summary of a complicated story you just gave. And um, I can't say another word without emphasizing that the incredible work of my coworker, Will Hobson, who really did the tough legal uh, uh, sledding on this. And, and it involved a ton of documents. Um, but uh, a real privilege to work with him again on this. We could tell that it involved a ton of uh, legal <laughs> documents because not only are there allegations that Snyder is trying to sue the NFL's investigator, there's also all the other lawsuits relating to an allegation of his connection to Jeffrey Epstein and trying to name as many people as possible that he could accuse of, of leaking that or, or making that up so that he could then go through their emails and phones and see if they might be working uh, with the NFL and the investigation. I mean, it's ex incredibly complicated all of the ways that he is trying to get a hold of who's speaking and to whom. And, and I have to ask, as you're doing all this reporting with Will, if we know that he's trying to, you know, bar the in investigator Wilkinson from so many things to the point of even suing her, are you ever concerned about your reporting and and whether you're, you'll be approached by his, his cronies or, or be, be unsafe at any point in all of this? Oh, um, hmm. well, no, I, it, it has been kind of jarring on occasion and going through court filings to find my name pop up as from time to time uh, through some of these discovery motions you alluded to where former employees, other people, uh, for example, the wife of a former general manager, you know, anyone he thought might be speaking against him at one point or uh, trying to spread uh, unfavorable information about him, he would pursue in federal court their phone records, their text messages. And so by inference, just by saying, gee, there, here's, here's 10 calls to Sarah Spain, this person is clearly a source for Sarah Spain mm. when, you know, maybe we were talking about something else entirely. As you know, your job, my job is to call people all day long. So your name will pop up. But, you know, in terms of fear or fear of retribution, um, I think throughout we've always thought we just have to be absolutely word perfect and not overreach and and be able to attribute what we report and things that we know that don't meet a reporting standard are not in this story. So we continue to report, um, but but it's the same standard we should have on every story. But um, but sure, he um, he has intimidated a lot of people in an effort to keep control of the team and to keep um, his reputation uh, from being sullied. It, it's been a very complex web, as you said, of different tactics, different um, uh, approaches, whether legal or the visits from the private investigators um, that had a very chilling effect. Liz, you guys, are, you guys are doing a great job here on the reporting side. I'm curious, how much have you sensed through your reporting that other owners are, are getting involved in in the whole situation and, and were they involved in the investigation or did they, they kind of just let the league handle everything? 
That's a great question. So uh, I'll mention another coworker, the wonderful Mark Massey, who covers the league for us and has for a long time. He is really our our best contact engaging the league. I think certainly today they're all meeting in Dallas, I believe. You know, the focus mm-hmm. right now is on the COVID explosion and how are they going to get through the season. So um, I, I, I don't think the average rank-and-file owner has much uh, concern or awareness about Dan Snyder's issues. I mean, I, I think there's probably a general consensus that it's a pity that this market is is in such trouble, you know, that attendance has gone from leading the league to 31st or 32nd. In some ways, the, the market is being squandered because the fan base has eroded so terribly and dramatically under his wow. ownership. But that's, I think, just a general dismay. I don't sense this is a top line issue for the owners now whether it is for roger goodell um that's another question because uh you know he may well be called into congress for a hearing you know aspects of what has been going on at the washington football team under dan snyder and aspects and remaining questions about why has the league not said why, how has the league disclosed so little, almost nothing, about what this year-long investigation found? It has now come to the attention of some in Congress, in particular the House Oversight Committee. This is no joke of a committee. This is the committee that in 2015 pretty much hauled in Major League Baseball to talk about steroids. And every key player, uh, the leaders of MLB, were right there testifying. It captivated the, the sports world. So the NFL doesn't want that to happen over what's going on at Washington. Um, so I think it, it is a concern, I, I imagine, for for uh, those who run the league. But the average owner, I, I imagine, is more focused on his or her team right now. Spain and Fitz, Jordan Renan in for Fitz. We're talking to Liz Clark, Washington Post reporter, who's been doing fantastic work uh, alongside um, – alongside her fellow reporter, Will Hobson, on Dan Snyder and the Washington football team. She's with us here on the Goodyear Hotline. We only have about a minute or two left, and I wanted you to follow up quickly on what you just spoke about, and that Mm. is the lack of transparency and the secrecy. As you noted in your story, there have been plenty of other investigations the NFL has done where they have come forward with the results. In this case, they're sort of hiding behind the idea that the women who have accused Snyder of this toxic workplace and of various things uh, don't want to, to have things public or may want to be protected, but they have almost uniformly come out to say otherwise. Um, can you tell Absolutely. us more about that conflict? Yes. So the NFL has said we're not releasing a written report because none exists, which is kind of hard to believe, knowing that, Um, the number of emails reviewed, people interviewed. So uh, I'm quite sure an attorney like Beth Wilkinson has some paper on this. Um, But their their other stated reason is that, well, there are privacy issues here. These women, these victims told their stories in confidence, um, and we therefore can't release the report. But all kinds of reports um, can be released with uh, with names redacted, and an attorney for most of these women have said, "Please do not use us um, in this manner." Is, is your is you know escape hatch of why right. you're not disclosing? I think uh, what they see is there's a standard of disclosure when the perpetrator is a player or uh, a deflated football. Um, hmm. But there's a different standard. In fact, 
the standard is we don't release anything when it's one of our own, when it's an owner, um, you know, one of Goodell's bosses, whether that's Jerry Richardson, on which very little information was given. Um, but I know time is short, but I do feel compelled to just make one clarification. Um, the lawsuit that was filed against Beth Wilkinson, it was filed by a retired um, general counsel of the team. It wasn't right. fired by Snyder directly. But right. as our reporting lays out, there is clear overlap. There are ways in which Snyder's lawyers um, uh, seem to support that effort. So it's a, a distinction that's very much at issue, but technically it was the team's retired lawyer who sued Beth Wilkinson. Always good to have you on to make sure we're very clear about the exact uh, wording of the <laughs> you, because you as you mentioned, awesome. it's incredibly necessary because of um, the work that you're doing. And and you're absolutely right there. Of course, very interesting that a retired lawyer who claims that he might be somehow at risk because of the things that would come out might have such uh, mirrored uh, ideas of, of, of what would be best for him and others, as, as Dan Snyder might feel about the information that might come out. Um, Awesome stuff, as always, Liz. We really appreciate the Thanks, time and, and keep the reporting up. And trust me, I will be one who will continue to beat the drum on this, even if other things take precedence in the news world. That's that's why you are so admired, Sarah. And, and Jordan, thank you so much for, for speaking with me as well. Thanks, Liz. Liz Clark, Washington Post reporter on the Goodyear Hotline. If you haven't yet read the story, I urge you to go. It's all the detail is required to understand the full context of what appears to be incredible meddling into this and to continue asking the question of why other owners seem to be carrying water for Dan Snyder, why Roger Goodell is adamant to keep protecting his his reputation, um, despite, as she pointed out, him tanking the team. They are bad. The attendance is bad. They are an embarrassment to the league, and yet somehow he remains sort of untouched. Uh, Washington Post reporter Liz Clark brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear more driven. Coming up, Jordan's going to tell us what lies ahead for the team he covers, which may be in an even worse position than my team. Also, a National Signing Day stunner. We've got awesome sound for you on that. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. There is so much more to get into with that uh, Daniel Snyder story. We talked about it a lot on Debatable today. It was me and Izzy Gutierrez and, and Bill Barnwell, if you want to get into some of the deeper nuances there, particularly as to why other owners might not be proactive in trying to remove him. Uh, I recommend checking it out. It's Spain and Fitz. Jordan Renan in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Let's get into your team. Uh, my, you, you come to house. us by way of a team that we have a little fun with here, uh, usually just by playing over and over a Dave Gettleman drop. We're <laughs> building. Uh, we know they're not building. In fact, they probably have to go back to uh, whatever rubble they've got above Demolition the foundation, mode. which is about the only – I don't know if they need – I don't think they need a demo. What have they built? There's nothing there. They're still at the foundation, a little bit of rubble. It's almost like they had a supply chain issue, and they just stopped. This is what Chris Canty said today on Canty and Golick Jr., and I want you to answer to whether you think he's on the right track here. Okay. Joe Judge has earned nothing here. It feels like the only reason why the owner wants to hold on to Joe Judge is just because it's not a third consecutive coach that you've hired and fired in two years. Like, I, I get not wanting to be viewed as a dysfunctional franchise, but you're already dysfunctional. The last five years, you're 22 and 55. You're already dysfunctional. Accept that. When you accept that you have a problem and you don't know the, how to fix it and the people in the building don't know how to fix it, then you can get about the business of being able to find someone that can. 
can. Until you do that, it's going to be more the same. And Giants fans are sick of it, and so am I. <laughs> he brings up a good point in that the organization is completely dysfunctional. And what has Joe Judge done to kind of deserve to be back for more, right? I think that's the that's the question. Now, Dave Gettleman, it's, it's pretty much assumed he's gone, right? The question is, do they really want to go back and keep going with Joe Judge and he has this plan? Now, think about this for a second, right? You bring up the clip and, you know, we're building and, you know, they're building nothing, right? And Jotted, Jotted, that's what he, that's what he calls <laughs> it. Jotted, come on. Do I, do I look like I do this for a hobby? That's what he says. Uh, but so if you're Joe Judge, think about it. You get hired. He gets paired with Dave Gettleman, who I think we could admit, Chris brought up those numbers. Now, granted, one of the years wasn't with him. But 22 and 55, you, you take out the one year that he, he, he wasn't there. You're still talking about 19 and 42 with him as the general manager. Mm. 19 and 42. So Joe Judge comes in and he gets paired with this guy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, now if you say, okay, we need to move on from him too, like what kind of opportunity did Joe Judge get to actually build something? He got paired with this guy who has made mistake after mistake after mistake. Now, I get it. There's things you don't love about Joe Judge. Some of the things he said, uh, the way he's uber conservative, at least the way we, the we view, the way we view, or at least I view, uh, being aggressive during games. Uh, he, he views aggression as, you know, uh, promoting a field position, whereas I view <laughs> aggression of trying to score points. Right. You know, two separate things. Like, you know, he's aggressive in his field position. I, I'd like to see coaches be aggressive and score points because that's, you know, the name of the game. Score more points than the other team you win. But still, if the Giants don't want to get stuck in this two-years coach cycle that they're in, they have to give Joe Judge an opportunity with someone who is competent in helping him build a team and build a program like he's trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I see your point, and that's the problem with completely dysfunctional places is how do you separate one person's dysfunction from others and whether it gave people a real shot. I I guess there are so many questions about the Giants. If you had to look into your crystal ball um, or or your magic eight ball and tell us who's still around in the future, you think Joe Judge sticks around? What about Daniel Jones? Are we looking for a quarterback? What, what, what What is the most important thing? that they need to, to get rid of, and who will be gone? Well, it starts with Gettleman. He will be gone. Now, the Joe Judge, from everything I heard, I, I haven't heard anyone in the organization say that they want to move on from Joe Judge. Like They were super high on him early this year, even in the middle of the year, of like the way he's able to interact and what he was, the way he's able to hold the locker room and, and interact with people in the organization and make advances in, in areas that, quite frankly, the Giants were falling behind. And, you know, they're known as this old, stodgy organization that, that, that just isn't with the times. Well, Joe Judge has helped them get with the times in some ways. And so, but here's the problem. You need a new quarterback. You need a dynamite quarterback, right? You need a top-end quarterback. But the Giants have put themselves, and this is Gettleman again, he put themselves in such a bad – let's say Russell Wilson wants to go there, which we've heard rumblings of, you know, some landings, potential landing spots that he would like to go to. The Giants would – a, have to bend over backwards and twist everything in order to make his salary fit. Then they would have to give up assets, premium assets, to get a, a quarterback of Russell Wilson's ilk. And then how do you then rebuild the team around him so they're in mm-hmm. such a bad spot there? Yeah. Like, they almost can't do that and then build a sufficient team around Russell Wilson. So I would say 
you need a quarterback. You need a high-end quarterback. But they're not really in position to do it this year. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jordan Renan filling in for Fitz tonight, talking Giants. Yeah, that it, it comes right back to it. When you're as dysfunctional as they are, you have not put yourself in a position to have an easy fix to get to a better spot. We'll keep following the Giants and the decisions that Rather they're Rather be making. the Bears than the Giants. Absolutely. We've got a quarterback. I believe and you're we've got good, a And you're going to wipe everything clean there, right? Yeah. Everything's going to get wiped. I sure hope Except so. For I said that last year, and uh, <laughs> they did not do that. Uh, We've been saying big... that with the Giants for a couple of years, too, right, by the way. Uh, right. <laughs> another big decision that was made today shocked people. Travis Hunter, five-star recruit that everybody uh, you know, thought they knew where he was headed, and he sets up for his signing day announcement. He's got all the hats. Now, this is just the audio, so you're not going to be able to see when he kind of – but imagine every time someone gasps and they laugh a little bit, he picks up a hat, pretends to wear it, and then throws it, okay? And this is him originally starting out this video. You think he's going to Florida State, and here's how it goes. At the end there, it's not even a hat on the table. He asks a family member to throw him a hat from the audience, and he puts on the hat for Jackson State. Hmm. Deion Sanders, hmm. the coach there. There's all sorts of conversation about NIL deals that he might already have in the mix. A lot of uh, people kind of ignorantly spouting off about all the reasons he shouldn't go there, kind of speaking um, from not a place of understanding. But it is a shocking move. And Deion Sanders is going to be on KJM tomorrow morning, 7.15 Eastern, to talk about it. I, I like the theatrics. I'll be tuned in. Yeah. You like the theatrics? Because sometimes I think signing oh, yeah. day is kind of gross. But if they do it right, if they put on a show like that, I'm kind of okay with it. I mean, I remember Landon Collins' mom got mad at him for yes. choosing Alabama so awkward. over so LSU awkward. when they're from Louisiana. And it's still like a classic video. So, I mean, hey, you know. Good, let's good ask, job here. Let's ask uh, the, the, the listeners. Uh, it's at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz. Tell us how you'd like to do your signing day. Are you jumping out of a plane? Are you keeping it chill? Uh, let us know. Coming up, Kimberly Martin's maiden voyage out around the horns next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Fresh off her inaugural voyage on Around the Horn, Kimberly A. Martin is going to join us and share what I'm sure was a torturous experience for well-known dictatorial host Tony Reale wielding his power. <laughs> Unwelcoming, unfriendly, so difficult to work with. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jordan Renan, in for Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And yes, on the Goodyear hotline, ESPN NFL reporter Kimberly A. Martin, the newest panelist on Around the Horn, victorious in her maiden voyage. Kimberly, how'd the show go for you today? Did you have the palm sweats or the butt sweats or any sweats? <laughs> no, I didn't have any butt sweats. Um, you know, I decided to go easy. I'm black of stone. I'm classy and Izzy. Because, you know, 
Uh, I'm from New York City. We can get a little intense, talk with our hands a lot. So, um, oh, you know, I got a couple jabs in there. But, nice. you know, it was fun. Someone's, was feel, someone's feeling themselves. Oh, one yeah, one appearance and she's feeling herself. You're wearing a crown around tonight or something, you know? Do, uh, oh, hot. Can do you have cameras in my in my apartment? That my tiara isn't. No, um, it was good. Guys are great. Um, it was a nice. Um, it was a nice day. So um, yeah, hopefully they'll invite me back. We'll see. I mean, I'm not gonna say anything about you winning your first show when I, you know, came in second to Jackie Mack on my first show. I might, you know, <laughs> might might say it was rigged. Yeah. Thank you. See, Terry Stott said it for me. Uh, whenever it's, I it sounds don't like win, you, uh, Terry you didn't, Stott haven't forgotten says that, by it the way. was rigged. Of course, I haven't forgotten it. Um, <laughs> it's such a fun show. It's such a fun family. I look forward to being on a show with you. And now that you've boasted about how you come strong, I won't feel bad when I don't take it easy on you. So oh. you, you have been warned. <laughs> I wouldn't expect you, anything you less than that. Let's talk about Make the Browns. Happen. You've been on top of this beat, and now things are getting real weird over there, just like so many other places in sports. As the numbers go up, Baker Mayfield now positive, Kevin Stefanski now positive. What is the number at now, and what is the expectation for how this gets handled in the week up to their game against the Raiders? Well, I just walked in from dinner. Uh, last time I checked, I believe it, 13 guys are currently on the reserve COVID-19 list um, for Cleveland. Who knows? By the time I put my head down tonight, maybe we'll have some more. Um, but it's, it's a big deal. Like, I'm flying to Cleveland on Friday for this game. I've been to Cleveland a lot. I was there last year, though, when Kevin Stefanski coached this team to its first playoff win in what feels like forever. And he tested positive for COVID, had to miss their wild card win over Pittsburgh. So this team has been here before. Kevin even joked today with reporters that, you know, this team has proven it doesn't need me. Uh, the reality is they did have their quarterback at the time. Um, they're missing several defensive starters. Um, it's going to be a tall task. But here's this is the NFL's reality. It, they are not postponing games. You know, this is especially crunch time. We're heading into the playoffs. Teams just have to deal with it. Whether coaches would love games to be postponed or not, um, that's not what the NFL is trying to do. So the Raiders have a great advantage here. Um, but at the end of the day, if this is, this is a Brown team that has everything in front of them in an AFC North division that nobody seems to really want to win it. So uh, no excuses, even if you don't have your head coach. And there are Browns fans who feel like, you know what, maybe we wanted to see K uh, Case Keenum before. We wanted to, oh, you boy. know, there was talk to the Browns, <laughs> Russ Baker, because of his his foot and his shoulder and all this other stuff. Well, now we get to see Case Keenum won on Thursday night, um, you know, in place of Baker. We'll see if he can win on Saturday. Kim, you say they're going to play. If, well, right? I should say I should say there's still a chance Baker could play. I don't want to make it sound like there's still a chance these guys could test negative. Right. The, the one percent, negative yeah. Test in a, the right, one, right, the right, one right. One percenter, basically. Which uh, was a TJ Watt actually tested out. He's the one guy I think I know of that tested out. But you mentioned, uh, you know, that they're going to they're basically going to plow through it. This is the NFL. This is how they do it, right? Washington's at mm -hmm. I think 18 guys. Uh, mm -hmm. You've mentioned Cleveland's in the you know around the dozen number. At what point can they not just plow through it though? And then what 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 are the options like? I because last year they pushed games back a couple days, right? Uh, that wouldn't really yeah do anything actually here. yeah 
Yeah, I had a Thanksgiving game. It was Ravens at AFC North. Obviously, Ravens Steelers was supposed to be Thanksgiving, and it got postponed three different times. So that was awesome, changing my flight three different times uh, to Pittsburgh. But it was because the Ravens had an out like Ravens had an outbreak where it's like every day guys were testing and they couldn't get a handle on it. Um, I think at this point it, it's it, postponing. Like last year, we didn't have vaccines, we didn't have boosters, we didn't have any of this stuff, and that's why. Think back to the summer when there were NFL players talking about how frustrated they were. They felt like they were sort of being forced into getting a vaccine that they didn't want because the NFL was really they weren't mandating it, but they were essentially making it clear we want you all to be vaccinated. It's because the NFL wanted to have an uninterrupted season. They wanted to have fans back in the stands. They wanted at full capacity games to go off without a hitch. That has been the priority from day one. How do we get a full season? And the NFL's message in training camp was we're not looking to move games. Like we're trying to get it all done in, in you know within this 18 week period for the regular season. And we're hoping nothing gets um, changed. So that has not changed. But what I do think the NFL really has to listen to the NFLPA because the NFLPA is like, we want daily testing. Like something's mm-hmm. got to give. Mm-hmm. Maybe going back to the protocols they had last year, um, the daily testing and guys not eating together and all that other stuff because we're entering that false sense of security no longer exists. Like the COVID has hit the NFL in a way that the league was hoping it wouldn't. Yeah, it's 100% true, Kimberly. It's actually something we've been talking about on this show for months, the likelihood that numbers would go up because of a false sense of security, because of vaccines, because of waning effectiveness of vaccines, because of changing Mm -hmm. testing protocols and everything else. We all sort of wanted to be past this and it's become very clear between delta and omicron that we are not and so the idea that you would stick with what's not working instead of being willing to make some drastic changes feels uh, foolhardy but not unexpected with the way the nfl prioritizes games kimberly martin is with us here espn nfl reporter on the goodyear hotline it's spain and fitz sarah spain jordan renan in for fitz i want to ask your opinion and i know you're a reporter but uh just based on what you've witnessed earlier jordan and i did our most uh you know, the, the real contenders in the NFC, and we, we differed on one. We both agreed that the Packers and the Bucks are real contenders. I argued the Cardinals. He argued the Rams. I think he's suffering from recency bias. He <laughs> thinks that the Cardinals have mm-hmm. a lack of experience. Is there one of those teams that you would expect to do more damage in the postseason? Uh, you know, I, I actually start – I got a lot of heat in the preseason for saying one of my big, bold predictions was like the Rams wouldn't make the playoffs, like – What's something wild that we wouldn't expect? I actually don't think I'm right there. I think the Rams are the team that I would believe in more if I was just looking at Cardinals-Rams, only because I knew I liked it. we've at least seen Sean McVay take a team to a Super Bowl. Right. Now, granted, I covered that Super Bowl, and he got completely outcoached by the actual genius. But um, there are no excuses for this for this Rams team. They've got the quarterback. They've got the horses, even with Odell testing positive, like, Robert Woods going down, like they've got enough weapons where they should make noise in the playoffs. The Cardinals, you know, their whole their whole thing has been we got we start strong and then we fade. All right, well that that loss to the Rams, I'm curious how they respond um, because because they're the Cardinals are that team that you kind of are like I see the record, I see it, Kyler love him as a player. Okay, okay, Cliff, like, uh, Coach of the Year, mm, not really. 
Um, so I don't know. I'm curious. The Cardinals are that team where you want to believe, but there's something that stops you. There's something that stops you that you can't go all in, chips in the middle of the table, where I think with the Rams, at least you've seen enough from Stafford and company and Cooper. Cooper Cup, come on. The Rams at their peak are easy to believe in. Unfortunately, we've seen some swings from them, and we really haven't seen those drastic swings from the Cardinals the same way. Kimberly, thanks for the time. Look forward to uh, kicking your ass on Around the Horn. (laughs) Sounds good, Thank you. (laughs) Kimberly A. Martin, you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation, too, by joining the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jordan Renan, ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football bowl season is here, and fans are hyped. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Coming up, AFC. Will Jordan and I agree on the contenders in the AFC? We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you. Jordan Renan in for Fitz. He's off all week on vacation. It's ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget to tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters, presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Earlier in the show, we talked about our real contenders in the NFC. I said Packers, Bucks, and Cards. Jordan said Packers, Bucks, and Rams. We skipped right over the team currently in fourth, the Cowboys. We'll get back to that. We'll talk about the team's that we think might squeeze into the contenders group or most likely to, but let's talk AFC and let's start with you this time. Who are your real contenders to win it all in the AFC? All right. I'm going to start with the least surprising one of all time, the Kansas city chiefs, because as long as you have Patrick Mahomes, Mm -hmm. you have a chance. Okay. And then uh, the Patriots boring, right? Mm -hmm. They're hot. Recency bias. Look, Mac Jones, blah, 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 Bill Belichick. But here's the one we're all surprised which I'm, I'm sure you probably won't agree with me. but I, And maybe I'm learning something about myself is when I make a prediction at the beginning of the year, I'm just willing to stick with it no matter how much <laughs> the ship is sinking. But the Buffalo Bills, mm. just because they're losing at New England and, and to the Chiefs doesn't mean I'm willing to jump off the Bills bandwagon. There's still, what, four games left for them to get it together. They're going to be in the playoffs. That is a really good team. If there's not 45-mile-per-hour wins in New England, they will go into New England in the playoffs and beat the Patriots with Mac Jones as their starting quarterback mm. compared to Josh Allen. That's Very interesting. My, that's my feel on that one. So I do, I'm sure you could argue that. I will. Uh, I do sure think that the rest of the Bills' schedule certainly helps. They have the Pan- uh, Panthers, Falcons, and Jets. And then another meeting with the Patriots, like you pointed out, presumably, hopefully not in a, you know, essentially a tornado of wind. So they have a nice schedule that allows them to feel pretty good about sticking in the playoffs. The question is, who do they face early on? And are they going to find the balance necessary? I was completely on the Bills bandwagon. In in fact, I put a pretty hefty bet on them winning the Super Bowl earlier in the season. Um, And I just have not seen them be able to even offer up a facsimile of a run game. Now, in a game like the Windy one, that's where it really matters. You yeah. got nowhere to go. And the fact that they couldn't – they did a decent job of stopping the Patriots. It was only 14 points. 
But to know that a team is going to run every play and to not be able to do anything about it is such a failure defensively. And they just have never been consistent. For me at this point, we're going into week 15. What I need to see is at least consistency. And the big swings mean that, of course, you can have a game where Josh Allen goes off and they are so unstoppable and, and it's and it's just you, you kill him in the air and it's another coming. team can't stop it. But that's hard to imagine if a team schemes well against them, particularly the Patriots, because if you give the ball up, they will beat you. If you make mistakes, they will beat you. So you might not be super impressed with Mac Jones, but they run everything to perfection. They don't put the ball in the other team's hands. And unfortunately, the Bills and Josh Allen have not been able to do that week in and week out. I would like to see them have success. They are not a contender for me right now. They are a sort of wild card, and I don't mean that in the football sense. I mean that in the life sense of you just you never know third? what you're going to get. Do you have a third I've got team the then, Patriots and the Chiefs. That's the it. Titans are like the Bills to me. They are doing better than I expected after the loss of Derrick Henry. And the fact that Derrick Henry could come back for the postseason, now that makes things interesting as well, right? Because then they become the team that I had a lot of faith in. I think Ryan Tannehill is a great quarterback, but that's another team that week in and week Hmm. out, you don't always know what you're going to get. Yeah, great quarterback. I don't know. Ryan Tannehill to me is not at that level. And When they they need him the most to be that guy, to be the guy who's going to take you, you know, carry you when you need it most – Deep into the playoffs, to me, he's not he's not that guy, and that's what makes it tough for them. I mean, What's wild have, to me is they that would they would need Derrick Henry. It would have right. to be all Derrick Henry to basically carry them into that. Just and the fact that they didn't drop off that. after that loss tells you that their system is really smart and that Tannehill runs it well. He might not blow your face off like a Herbert or a Josh Allen, but he gets the job done and he doesn't make those big mistakes. And so I, I think of them similarly. If you get them when they're playing their best and they operate the way they should, I feel like for sure they can win some games and they can do some damage. But the Chiefs and the Patriots are the teams that I actually think are built to seriously contend that 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 to me is kind of where I draw the line let's ask some people we asked Kimberly uh, I can't even remember what her answer was now who it doesn't matter but let's ask some other people for their opinions we'll throw this up on the poll at Sarah Spain at Jordan Renan at Spain and Fitz um who's who's you know more spot on with who our contenders are in the AFC and the NFC and let's get into it in the in the AFC you already mentioned the bills are there other teams, either in the top seven or on the bubble, that you could picture putting it together enough to disrupt those contenders and make a run? Yeah, that's the question. Is it the AFC North? Do we think? Do you think Baltimore can put? I'm not. I just don't think this is Baltimore's year. Like that, I don't know. They just they really haven't been able to put it together. They've been beat up. Lamar's kind of banged up now. It just seems hard for me to imagine them putting it together at this point. And the other team that I would maybe give a shot would be the Chargers. But I think it's probably a little early for them too. Like they're they're kind of like uh, the AFC's version of the Cardinals to me. You a believer in any of the North teams or the or the Chargers? No, the Ravens are a team that, like you said, though, if they get things together, this is. I mean, it's hard to remember the NFL moves on so fast. But at one point in the season, we were so hot on Lamar Jackson's ability, indisputable MVP, and even though we knew that the Ravens depended a ton on him, it was working. So there is a part of me that says that that team gets it together, but the injuries, the the, the number of players on IR, and then the setbacks both physically and just in terms of performance from Lamar, um, 
I, I'm kind of not feeling them right now. The Chargers they might not are even make the playoffs, one. by the way. They play the Packers, right. the Bengals, the Rams, and the Steelers. So that's like four teams, 500 or better. I mean, that, that's a tough road for Baltimore if Lamar's banged up. It Man, is. They might, it is. They, and might, you, they might not even be able to make the playoffs. You mentioned the Chargers. They're a fascinating one to me. The Chargers, the rest of their schedule is the Chiefs, Broncos, Raiders, and Texans. Um, the Raiders are meh, they, but they show up sometimes. Texans are trash, but they got to play the Chiefs and the Broncos. And that's a team that when they're on and when Herbert's doing Herbert things, you're sort of like, ah, I could see them beat anyone. But also yeah. that consistency is missing. Yeah, I mean, I was there this past weekend, and he rolled out to his left and made that throw mm-hmm. with 63.8 yards in the air, and you're just like, wow, this is the dude. So if there's a team that I'd say, okay, they're going to put it together, it, I, it does seem like it's them. Like if one of these outside on the fringe teams right now, it's them because they have that quarterback. They have that quarterback that can put him on the shoulders and say, let's go, guys. He has the weapons there. I mean, they have really good weapons with, with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler. He's the guy. Like, I believe in him way more than I believe in, like, the Ryan Tannehills of the world. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I just think the differences, the mistakes, the experience, the ability to, to, to pull out a game plan where you don't give the ball away, where you keep it safe, and you do what you do well enough to outlast the other team, and that's why I like Tannehill. Um, and it works in that system, particularly when um, when you've got Derrick Henry around. Coming up, we're going to talk to somebody who was at MSG last night for Steph's record-breaking night. We'll talk about that and other NBA issues. Coming up next, Jordan Renan in for Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Sarah Spain, Jordan Renan with you. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. It's Spain and Fitz. I'm going to get back into our contenders, true and imagined, in both conferences, see what you guys had to say about it. Also, another quick little update in the Urban Meyer story gets worse and worse. Like I said, he keeps finding new bottoms, and I won't make the pun again this time. Joining us now, Sports Illustrated senior writer, co-host of the crossover podcast, Howard Beck, who was there last night for Steph Curry's monumental moment. Howard, we've heard a lot of people talk about it leading up to it and afterwards. And other than Pete Davidson sealing some shine with that extremely bright sweatshirt, what can you add from being in the building? <laughs> hey, Sarah, thanks. Um, I, I, my sweatshirt was not as bright. Uh, I was also <laughs> not nearly as close. Um, I could not sit down on the court and take cool photos the way Spike Lee did. Um, but the, the, the buzz in the arena was really interesting once the game started. And Steph actually noted this at one point after we're talking about it, that he could see – you know, these guys are so locked in, and so often they, they do have tunnel vision. But Steph could see that when the ball got into his hands early in the game before he had set the record, and he's dribbling up court, he sees everybody sort of standing up. And, <laughs> you know, we talk about, you know, these guys talk about all the time, so you stay in the moment and concentrating on just the thing and just run your plays and run the offense and let it come to you and da 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 da, da. But you know what's going on. You know the anticipation that's there when you're two away and you're at the garden of all places. And everyone there has their phones out, and they're standing up every time he's got the ball in his hands because they just couldn't wait for it. And the other thing that, that was really noticeable to me was just even walking the concourse pregame and kind of just walking through the stands a little bit pregame too. I saw more Curry jerseys than Nick jerseys in general. I, I definitely saw more number 30 Currys than I saw number 30 Julius Randles uh, last night. And mm-hmm. – you know, look, the Garden draws tourists, it draws Knicks fans, it draws all kinds. But 
um, it's very rare because Nick fans are pretty loyal and 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 they they attend those games in, in force usually, especially for for a big game. Pretty unusual for me to have seen that many people there for the opponent. But it, it also is, just speaks to I think Curry's universal appeal that you can be a Knicks fan and probably a Curry fan at the same time, especially younger fans who don't have as as hard of an allegiance as us older folks where you root for players and. Yes, look, everybody roots for history. You root for greatness. You root, and the Garden has a long history of this, of rooting for greatness, of cheering Kobe Bryant, of cheering LeBron James, and last night cheering Steph Curry and what was a really special night. Jordan, I'm going to let you jump in. I just want to okay. say how much I enjoyed the idea of the Garden needing to learn how to cheer for greats from other teams. Just as a longtime Bulls fan, All there's right. that Knicks right. rivalry that's still dig. there. And I, I just love the idea that you have to Knicks learn fan. how to welcome greatness coming in from elsewhere because you ain't getting it in your own team. I love right. that. That makes me feel bring good. Up, bring up my sad childhood as a Knicks fan. Here, okay? <laughs> that's basically what we're going to do. That was mean. I mean, <laughs> speaking of that, that my sad childhood, Steph was basically saying he's willing to accept that he's, you know, the greatest shooter of all time now. Uh, as someone who watched Reggie Miller dominate the Knicks and, you know, ch- choke them, the, you know, with the, with his little choke sign out the building. Is there any doubt in your mind? Do you, do you sort of agree with that assessment that he's the greatest shooter you've ever seen? Absolutely. And the reason why is, is this. When we start getting into this discussion, you you start getting into, well, there were guys in the past, Reggie, Ray, Dale Ellis, Steve Kerr, for that matter, <laughs> Steph's coach, guys who shot the three really, really well. It was a very high accuracy rate. There's still like six guys on the all-time list who have higher career percentages than Steph because they shot fewer. And then you, 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 you go either way in this argument, either, well, if those guys had had the freedom to shoot the three at the volume that today's mm-hmm. shooters have, what could they have done? But the right. inverse is also true. If you are taking a ton of them, and also if you have to create them yourself, which guys like you know Steve Kerr is just waiting for kickouts for Michael Jordan and Tim Duncan, right. if you have to create them yourself to get that volume of, of three-point shots, well, then the, it's a higher degree of difficulty anyway. Yeah. So I look at what Steph has done and say the volume is not a negative. It doesn't detract from his argument as greatest shooter ever. It supports it because he takes a ton of them, and it's harder to stay accurate the more of these – you shoot, especially when you're having to create them yourself off of step backs and pull-ups and transition and sidesteps and all the other ways in which he creates space for himself. And so that's what's so impressive. Look at the two guys who were the most recent record holders. Ray Allen was a career 40% shooter from three, which is incredible, is excellent. Reggie was 39.5% career from three, also excellent. Steph is 43%, folks. Right. Yeah. He's taking it's like a, many better, more. a better version of Reggie Miller is kind yeah, of what it, it reminds it's me It's all of what you said is accurate, yeah. although I will say, obviously, the more you shoot, the easier it is to get a counting statistic because it's not about percentage, it's about makes. But your, your point about he's not a Kyle Korver or a Steve Kerr who's posting up around the, around the arc and looking for a shot. He's making it himself. He's changed the game enough that people know it's coming as well, so he backs up even further and then still has that percentage, even shooting them from half court. And one of the fascinating things I heard today was he was, I believe six seasons in before he started taking double digit threes per game because he entered in a different era for the NBA when it was closer to, you know, 10% or whatever of, of three pointers 
uh, of shots taken. Now it's closer to 40%. He obviously brought that era in and was part of it. But that means that there are people who are going to come into the league starting from the very beginning with the green light to shoot that much doesn't mean they're going to make it. He, he he made this record 500 games fewer than Ray Allen, and it feels like it's going to stand for a long time, especially if he keeps this up. He's uh he, he's currently making more threes per game than anyone ever this season, so he doesn't seem like he's slowing down anytime soon. We're talking to Howard Beck, Sports Illustrated senior writer and co-host of the Crossover Podcast here on Spain & Fitz. L- let's talk about the COVID stuff, and I don't want to talk about it in the sense of let's tell everyone that Omicron is, you know, seven times easier to transmit and yada yada and all the stuff that we should all be learning for ourselves uh, and our families off the air and away from sports. But let's talk about the actual effect on the games because the NBA has been more proactive and more progressive in terms of understanding and being able to pivot than other leagues. Do you think that we're about to see not only a change in protocols, but potentially a pause in the league? I'm very, 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 very skeptical about the concept of a pause. We talked about this. This was a discussion last season, too. And remember, last season started off with no vaccines widely available, you know, for the first, you know, several months of the season. But also at a time when arenas were not yet packing their schedules again with concerts and circuses and conventions and everything else. And so if you needed to postpone games last season, it was easier. And they did postpone, of course, a bunch of games when they had to, when teams were, were too devastated by, by quarantines. Um, then you could reschedule them with some ease. That's not the case anymore. These arenas are back to scheduling the concerts and the circuses and the conventions and everything else. So, you know, hard enough just to reschedule a couple of games here and there for a couple of teams here and there. Putting a pause on the season and shutting down all 30 teams and trying to make up those games, I think, would be a, a near impossibility. Um, you know, and, and, and there's, you know, there's a bunch of other things that go behind that, too. But, no, I, I don't think we're heading toward that at the moment. And I do think the NBA has to do something. Um, what that is, we'll see. There have been some reports today about the union and the, and the league talking about, you know, changing protocols. Maybe they just need to go to a stricter uh, daily routine um, as they had last season where players had to stay at the hotel and, you know, hotel or gym when they were on the road and when they were at home, restrict their movements. It's harder to do that now. I mean, I, I think for the short term, during the early days of the pandemic, we got all got used to changing our, our routines and reigning in our social lives. But everybody's kind of gotten used to, especially since vaccines became widely available, being able to, to return to some sense of normalcy. And so trying to rein that back in, might be very difficult because human nature is what it is for all of us. And that includes mm-hmm. players, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know that, that they can just sit still and, and allow this to keep unfolding the way it is. I mean, uh, you know, we're now hearing Alvin Gentry is not going to be able to coach the Kings. Rick Carlisle already can't coach the Pacers right now because he's in protocols and, you know, half the, the, uh, there's the Lakers have staff members and coaches and players who were quarantined today. Um, it's. I don't know where this goes. I mean, none of us do, but I, I do think the NBA obviously needs to adjust on the fly here, short of shutting down the season. Yeah. Real, and, and real quick. Can I can I get this one in? We we'll go back yeah. to the the Warriors for a second. They're already the best team in the league. What's realistic? I mean, they're now it says title implications. I mean, what is getting back Clay Thompson? What does that do? Is that what's realistic for Clay Thompson after two and a half years? Two and a half years and two of the toughest injuries, Achilles and ACL back-to-back. But Clay has worked his butt off. If you know anything about him, the guy lives, breathes, loves this game. And so if anybody can overcome it all, 
he can. And we, we've got a recent you know, precedent now of, of Kevin Durant coming back at an incredibly high level from the Achilles, um, not Achilles and ACL, but the Achilles on its own has wrecked a lot of careers. Um, so advances in, in you know, medicine and training and everything else and rehab, I think, gives some hope that, that Clay Thompson can come back at some level that approximates the Clay Thompson we're used to seeing. But we're not going to know until he's actually out there. Um, you know, so we start playing with those percentages, right? Well, if we, would it be 75% of the Oakley? Was it 80%? Whatever it may be. Right. I, I just think that the way that the Warriors are playing and, you know, they're, they're elite defensively, which gets overlooked all the time amid Curry's pyrotechnics. But, you know, that's where, they're, that's where they're winning games is, is defensively, and they've got just enough offense. Well, you throw the guy who is arguably the second greatest shooter of all time, Clay, next to the first greatest shooter of all time, Steph, and – you know, it's. I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way: Steph would have gotten the, the record days ago if Clay were already playing, because right. the, the Sixers and the Suns wouldn't have been able to blanket him the way that they did. Clay would have created the space that would have required for Steph to have gotten the record earlier. Um, plugging Clay back in and getting James Weissman, I mean, th- those are, are two incredible reinforcements to be able to get for a team that's already one of the best in the league. They are absolutely on a, on a trajectory to win the West. But I mean. That doesn't mean they're going to. I'm not saying they're, you know, I'm not disrespecting the Suns here, but they are on a trajectory to be at that level again in a way that I don't think we could have imagined six months ago. Awesome stuff, Howard. Jealous you were there last night. Thanks so much for the insight. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Howard Beck, you can find him on Sports Illustrated, also co-host of the Crossover Podcast. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. If your pet is hurt in a car accident, Progressive pays up to $1,000 in vet expenses with free pet coverage. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, you say whether Jordan or I is more right about our predictions and also how you'd like to have your signing day go. Talk about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jordan Renan in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to tune into the That's What She Said podcast, hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women's sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade's proven formula is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Uh, This week, James Beard award-winning chef, Chef Edward Lee. You know him from Top Chef. Uh, I will give you a brief recap of the stories he tells. He found a rat in the pancake mix at a diner he worked at. He worked for a circus. He bartended at an S&M club. He got kicked out of the pump room on his first date with his wife. And yes, the bar is indeed called the pump room. And he went gigging for frogs. You can Google that. Uh, all of that and more in the podcast. Yeah. Yep. All of that and more in the podcast. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. Make sure to tune in. We got some cleanup from the show. A couple things to get to from the conversations we've had all night. Number one, a quick addendum to the Urban Meyer story that I did not see the original time scanning through that that story that came about just before the show started. Uh, This, of course, the story from the former kicker of the Jags, Lambeau, who said that he was kicked by Urban Meyer during warm-ups before a preseason game. And Urban Meyer said, I'm the head ball coach. I'll kick you whenever I bleep and want. Uh, This is another part of that story from uh, the Tampa Bay Times. Lambeau was approached by head coach Urban Meyer, who doesn't call Jaguars specialists by his names. Quote, it was kicker, punter, long snapper, Lambeau said, or bleep bag, dip bleep, or whatever the hell it was. Football guy, you know, that that's... The head ball coach doesn't have time to learn your names. Your kicker, punter, long snapper, or dip bleep. Not a big special teams guy, I'm guessing. Not 
believable. There was somebody who pointed this out. I'm not going to remember the name of the player. But the other day after the game, someone asked him about a player. And he said, yeah, I think he's... Uh, I'd have to check the, the sheet. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. But I think he's been playing a little more and doing well. And the guy had played one snap. Uh, like, he just didn't even <laughs> know what was going on. He just didn't Herb. even know what was going on. Oh, what a mess. All right, not we talked well about... Him. What's it's that? Not, it's not going well for him. No, no, no it's definitely not. Um, yeah. uh, uh, if only there had been some warnings for us to know that this might not go well. If only... Uh, you know, he had left every other job previously uh, with, you know, undercover of some sort of mysterious illness or memory loss or otherwise or time with his family. I'll give him credit, though. He did it faster this time than ever before. Ruining things? You know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, well, before he, he was winning, in... so he ruined things quickly while winning, and we just didn't care about it as much. Now he doesn't have the winning to cover it, which is a, a real problem. Uh, we also asked you about the incredible Travis Hunter okey-doke signing day where he had a bunch of hats on the table, he threw them all after faking like he was going to wear them, had a different hat thrown to him, and made the announcement he's going to go play with Deion Sanders. We asked you, what would your signing day announcement look like? Would you jump out of a plane, ski down a mountain, be super chill about it, do a couple okey-dokes like Travis? A couple of you hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation, including at C underscore Paul underscore Ev. Jordan, this person has way too much trust in chance. He said, I'd do an NBA-style draft lottery and go to whatever school was picked. Yeah, I saw that. I would not put my fate in the hands no, of a, a, of a lottery. Balls. No, yeah, Never put your fate in the hands of some balls. Of, of balls. Yeah, good, um, good analysis there. I like that. Thank you. Um, also. <laughs> that's what she said. That's perfect for that <laughs> podcast right said, there. That's what she said. That's right. Um, also, like, you might end up somewhere where there's a glut of uh, people at your position. Usually recruiting is a good sign for whether you're wanted. I don't know if the, the balls will tell you that. Um, <laughs> at AJ underscore returns 56, I would just have a plain T-shirt and jeans, have the jersey of the school I chose on my dog, who would run on camera to tell the folks where I was going and, of course, get a treat. I am here for that. I have three dogs, so I could do one of those Travis Okie dokes where, you know, one of the dogs runs out. No, no, it's not him. So you can combine them. There yeah, you go. That's there we next go. level. Uh, we also asked you whether you agreed with my take or Jordan's on who the real contenders are in the AFC and the NFC. The vote very close in the NFC. I picked the Pack, the Bucks, and the Cardinals. You had the Pack, the Bucks, and the Rams. You are currently leading 56.5% of the vote says Ooh, that you are barely. more right. 43.5% says that I am right. A couple people chimed in. Uh, at MJ Williams 1975 hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation. Said, it's not the Pats. Mac Jones is a rookie QB that's going to face complex defenses in the playoffs. Replace Pats with Titans. Well, that's what he said about the Titans. Yeah, and at Bobo10735 said, the Colts will show you why they belong on this list this Saturday. Um, oh, I forgot Let's to mention what we said for the AFC. We did not say – we did say the Pats. We didn't say the Colts. I said Pats and Chiefs, just those two. You said Pats, Chiefs, and Bills. So far, 67.5% agree with me, just 32.5% agree with you. But somebody did say – The Bills. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. well we, had, we had split opinions on this. Somebody said, you know – don't sleep on the Bills. Don't jump off the bandwagon. And then Steve TSRA said, the Bills are a mess, but I still wouldn't want to play them in the playoffs. Uh, at P Life 1971 Patriots are the contenders with balance. The others rely on one way to win. So a lot of people have opinions. There are certainly those that I wouldn't be shocked if they won a playoff game, 
but I would be shocked if they went on to win it all. And that's why my list of true contenders is pretty small. If you remember, not that long ago, Jordan, in the season, we could probably name about eight teams, maybe six, that you wouldn't be that shocked if they went on to win it all. And that has whittled down a fair amount. But I do want to talk about the team that we did not discuss in the NFC that's sitting right in the middle at number four. They're at nine and four, the Cowboys. And neither of us have them as contenders. What's yeah. your reasoning? I just don't trust that defense enough. I know they're playing better. I know everyone's raving about Micah Parsons, but you can still that defense can still be had. If they play a good team, they're going to have trouble stopping people unless Dak and that offense are able to put up 30 plus. Like they're going to they're going to lose a game to one of these top teams. They're not at the level of the other teams we named before. Next That's level, level 2. It's yeah. interesting because the beginning of the season, that was certainly the weakness that we worried about. But of late, it's been the offense that's been disappointing. Dak Prescott in a slump, even though Jarrah won't call it that. That recency well, bias you talk defense. about, don't fall yeah. into it. But the defense has been better maybe, and Micah Parsons single-handedly doing a lot of that. But, yeah, there's been some pretty ugly ball there from that offense. It just doesn't look as explosive as when the season started, and that was really why I believed in them. I think they needed to overpower you on offense so that if the defense wasn't perfect, you'd be okay. And I haven't seen that recently. Now, it could be recency bias, or it could be something that they have to figure out. The entire Cowboys defense is going to be on with Freddie and Fitzsimmons next. It's going to be wild. I don't have that many mics, but it's going to be great. Wow. Tune in. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.